0: The scripture reading today is from the book of Romans, the fourth chapter. As we hear Paul speak about Abraham, the father of our faith, let us stand for the hearing of God's holy word. Paul writes, What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works, trust him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is re- Reckoned as righteousness, and then Paul. We skip down to the thirteenth verse, and Paul continues. For for the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is their adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, well, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of us all, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence things that do not exist. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Well, on the second Sunday of the season of Lent in our series, Love Wins, we come to this wonderful idea that love wins through grace. I invite you for a moment to think of times in your life when you experienced grace, perhaps from a teacher, perhaps from a parent, perhaps from a friend. Can you remember what it felt like to receive grace? Can you remember what a difference it made in your life in that moment to receive grace? Grace is a powerful thing. Years ago when I was a seminary student and I was serving on the staff of a church in Arlington, It was summertime and it was time for the Youth Choir Tour. And that year they were going to Colorado. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Um, Going to Colorado. So, had a bus and we packed all the things they needed for the concerts, the costumes and the props and all the things for the show they were going to do. And then all the youth going on the trip had to sign this document and it was called the Ten Commandments of Choir Tour and it was a list of the ten things thou shalt not do and they had to sign it and their parents had to sign it before they could go. All those were in order. We hit the road. We went along fine for about a week. We were getting close to the end, just had like three days left on this trip. Back in those days, as horrifying as it is to remember, you would go and sing at a church. And then when the service was over, people would say, well, I can take three boys or I can take two girls or whatever. You just go home with all these strangers and spend the night. And so you were scattered everywhere. You weren't in one place. And so you couldn't keep up with people very well. And then the next morning they'd bring everybody back to the church and you'd have breakfast together and then you'd make sure you hadn't lost anybody and you'd hit the road again. And I'm sitting there eating breakfast and here comes three kids out of the choir. Barry, we need to talk to you. That is not what I wanted to hear. First thing in the morning in Colorado a long way from home and I said well of course what do you want to talk about and they sat down and they were very upset and emotional and they all started to cry and they said we broke the rules I said what we broke the rules we snuck out of our houses and we hooked up with some people we met at the church and they listed the three top things they were not supposed to do on that trip. And you know what I'm thinking? Why are you telling me this? I would never know this. I would never ever know this. And now you've told me. What am I going to do? And I looked at them and I said, well, what do you think has to happen? They said, you have to send us home. You have to call our parents. You have to send us home. I said, I guess you're right. So those three got on a van and we had to drive like three hours to the nearest airport to send them home. But the last thing everyone said, we gathered around those three and we said, when we get back to the church for our homecoming concert, we expect you to meet us there. Dressed and ready to sing. They said, really? I said, yeah, really. You'd let us do that? I said, what do you mean we'd let you do that? We expect you to do that. You're still a part of our group. Just because you made a mistake doesn't change a thing. They were good kids that made a bad choice. And you know what, when that bus pulled up in front of that church a couple of days later, those three were standing in the driveway. And they helped unload and set up and they sang with us. And it changed the life of everybody else in the choir. Not just those three. Because in that moment, we all knew what it meant to experience grace. We still belonged to one another. We still cared about one another. And we were still in this thing together. Well, on this second Sunday of Lent, we turn to Romans and Paul's discussion about salvation by grace. And we find in Paul in Romans and then again in Ephesians when he writes the story of Abraham is very central to his understanding of what it means to have grace, to be saved by grace. He basically asks in this section in Romans, okay, so what did Abraham do to earn his covenant relationship with God? What did Abraham do? And that's an important question because Abraham predates the law by some 400 years. There was no law to keep. There were no works to perform. So what did Abraham do to earn his relationship with God? Well, nothing. (laughs) And that's Paul's point. He says, no, Abraham believed God and God said, that's enough. Abraham believed God. When God told him the most absurd thing he and Sarah would ever hear, in their old age that they were going to be parents, and not only were they going to be parents, those, uh, they were going to be parents of people who would become more numerous than the sands of the sea or the stars in the sky, that Abraham would become the father of all nations. And as crazy as that sounded, Abraham believed it. And God said, we're good. God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Paul makes the argument, if you work for something, you earn a wage. You don't earn a gift, you earn a wage and he would go on to write and the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life paul is making the point you really sure you want to work for your salvation <laughs> because if you work you're going to get paid and if you get paid it's not going to be what you want don't go for the pay go For the grace. Paul's point is clear. Salvation depends on God. Not on us. Always has been that way. Always will be that way. Love wins through grace. God chooses us and God forgives us through grace. Why? I don't know. Does it make sense? No. But just like that promise made to Abraham, God promises to forgive us through grace. And when we believe it, it's enough. So during this season of reflection and prayer and confession and repentance, it's a good thing to be reminded That we're not saved because we get it just right. And we're not saved because we're good enough. We're not saved because we're more righteous than somebody else. Or that God likes us better. We are saved because God's love saves us. God's love forgives us. God's love puts us in a right relationship with God Love wins through grace. I don't know about you, but I find it so interesting that Paul, a Pharisee, a person whose life was all about the law and keeping the law and getting it right, would come to such an extreme view of salvation that it is all through grace. And I can't help but believe that it happened to him on that road to Damascus. You read about it in Acts chapter 9. Where he is on the way to persecute those who follow Jesus. But he meets the resurrected Jesus. And he is changed. He is changed dramatically. He comes to know the God who chose and loved and saved people long before there was the law. But I think what really changed Paul was in that encounter with Jesus, he realized that for him to ever be saved, it had have to be by grace. Because he was a persecutor of Jesus. He was a persecutor of the church. He went and arrested people and imprisoned people who dared to follow Jesus. Paul understood that if he was to know God's salvation, it would have to be by grace. Because what he had earned was quite the opposite. Maybe that's the only way we do come to understand grace. When we realize That that's the only way we can know God's salvation. The only way we can know God's forgiveness. One of the biggest people in my life when I was growing up was my childhood pastor. And he went by the name Brother Bill. And Brother Bill was wonderful. And over the Twelve years he was my pastor. I must have heard him say literally a hundred (laughs) times. Salvation is a gift. But like every gift, you have to receive it and make it yours. But then he'd say, but remember, even being able to receive it is a gift from God. In Ephesians, Paul would write, By grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone could boast. Even being able to receive God's gift is a gift. In a moment, we come to this table, this table that proclaims God's grace that proclaims love wins through grace. The gift is offered to us all. Why wouldn't we take it? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.